Welcome to the Northwood Baptist Church podcast. I'm Tommy Metter, lead pastor at Northwood right here in North Charleston, South Carolina. And I am so thankful that you are taking the time today to listen to this message. And I do hope and pray that what you are about to hear encourages you, blesses you, helps you to understand the word of God better, and most importantly, reminds you of how much the God of all creation loves you. I think today's message is going to be a blessing to you. So thank you for listening. And if you're in the North Charleston area, we would love to have you on our campus any Sunday morning at either 9.30 or 11 o'clock. If you're not in the North Charleston area, you can always find us on the web, northwoodbaptist.com. You can visit our YouTube page. You can visit our Facebook page. You can live stream us every Sunday morning at 9.30 or 11. We would love for you to be our guest, either on campus or online. So you're welcome to join us anytime you'd like. We'd love to have you. I do hope that today's message is a blessing and encouragement to you. And I hope that today's message helps you connect faith to life. chapter 10 verses 25 through 37 this morning so go ahead and find that in your copy of God's word if you're new to Northwood we like to take books of the Bible like the gospel Luke and just walk straight through them uh, just kind of helping us to understand exactly what the word of God says because as we understand the word of God God speaks to us and changes us and so we've been in Luke's gospel now for quite a while and we'll continue our journey through Luke's gospel this morning in Luke chapter 10 25 through 37 if you're new to the Bible Luke is not hard to find at all just go to the New Testament you can find your New Testament and find the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then the Gospel of John. If you did not bring a Bible with you in the seat before you down the book rack, you should find a copy of the Bible. Pick that Bible up. Find Luke 10, 25 through 37 with us. And if you don't own a Bible, take that Bible home with you. Read it and learn about the God that loves you and desires a relationship with you. Luke 10, 25 through 37 is where we'll spend our time together this morning. I'll read that passage to you in just a a moment. So uh, I, I came across a, a news article this week, and it was, you know, really kind of an encouraging, inspirational article. Um, there was this 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 daughter who took her her mother on an on an afternoon drive, and her mother was a hundred years old, or is a hundred years old. And so they got in, in the vehicle, began to make their way down the highway. And as they were making their way down the highway, this this elderly mother, uh, she took a throat lozenger and put it in her mouth. And when she put it in her mouth, and uh, she swallowed it, and and it, it it got stuck, and it completely blocked her airway. And she was in the passenger seat of her daughter's car, choking to death. Now you can imagine in that situation, the panic of both that, that elderly woman and also that daughter. And what do you do? Because there's not a hospital close by. And, and, and so they're trying to figure it out. And so uh, this daughter pulls over and gets her mother out of the car to try to get this lozenger out of her throat. And again, you can imagine, this is a, this is a crazy, hectic situation. And, and people are seeing that this car is pulled over. They're seeing this elderly lady outside this car struggling to breathe. And this, and this, this, this daughter trying to help her mother. And, and, and then pulling up beside them uh, was a school teacher. This, this young man was a school teacher and he got out of his car to help. And this, this young man, he, he, he performed the Heimlich maneuver on this elderly lady three times. And after the third time, uh, the lozenger loosened up and they were able to get out and, 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 and she was able to breathe again. And so he literally saved her life. And then, and then coincidentally enough, as the lozenger comes out, an ambulance passes by, he, they wave the ambulance down, they put them 
the elderly mother in that ambulance to take her away just to, for observation, make sure she was okay, which she was. And, and this gentleman who stopped to help got back in his car like nothing had ever happened and went on about his way and, and didn't give the lady her, his name or anything like that. But this gentleman who pulled over and saved this woman was wearing a shirt with his school's logo on it. And so uh, this daughter uh, was able to track him down because she knew the school logo was able to find the school and, 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 and able to meet up with him and thank him for saving uh, her mother's life. Just a, a really heartwarming story. Now, it's a heartwarming story, but really what was so interesting to me about the story is how the New York Post, when they reported the story, how they headlined the story. The headline of the story said this, a good Samaritan helped an elderly lady live. A good Samaritan. In fact, if you were to go to read that article, I don't know, about four or five times that phrase, good Samaritan was used. Now, if you were to go home this afternoon and you were to get on the computer and you were to do a Google search for good Samaritan stories, you would find all kinds of stories that would pop up. Because news organizations love to report about good Samaritan kind of stories. And, and when you think about that phrase, good Samaritan, there's probably something that pops in your mind. Or at least in our culture's mind, what pops up are stories of heroic Random acts of kindness. Someone is in distress. Someone is facing a disaster. And all of a sudden, at just the right time, somebody, an unknown person, right? An anonymous person stops and saves the day. That person is a good Samaritan. And we love stories about good Samaritans. You see, I know in our, our culture, a lot of people don't understand Scripture. But a lot of people in our culture, while they don't understand Scripture, they at least know the story of the good Samaritan. And everybody loves stories about good Samaritans. And we think, right, that, man, this world would be a much better place to live if it was full of good Samaritans. We need more good Samaritans, right? We need more good Samaritans. We need more good neighbors, I mean, it, wouldn't it be great if we were all just good neighbors? I mean, I, I know that State Farm is like a good neighbor, but I don't know how good of a neighbor they are. I mean, uh, we would love to live in a world where, where there were just more good neighbors. If there were good Samaritans and good neighbors, what a, what a great world we would live in. And so we think about this story of the good Samaritan. A story that, listen, I know you've heard this story before and I know that we've heard this story a million times. And, but I think, honestly, if you think about this story that Jesus tells of the Good Samaritan, a lot of us miss the point of the story. The point of the story isn't to tell us we need a world full of Good Samaritans or that we need more good neighbors. Actually, I think the point of the story is to remind us that we're really bad neighbors. I mean, we think we're good neighbors, but at the end of the day, I mean, we're, we're pretty selfish and think of ourselves more than we think of others. We're, we're not that great of neighbors and we're not really that good of good Samaritans. And so there's something else going on in this story that I want us to think about this morning because this is a powerful story that I think is going to help us to understand what it means to be a good neighbor. And so take your Bibles, Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37. I want to show you two truths from this story that I think are going to help us to understand what it means to be a good neighbor. Go ahead and rise to your feet as we honor the ring of God's word. Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37. Listen to what the Bible says. The expert in the law stood up to test Jesus, saying, 
Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? Jesus asked him. What do you, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said, you've answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? And Jesus took up the question and said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him, beat him up and fled, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down that road. When he saw him, he passed by on the other side. In the same way, a Levite, when he arrived at the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan on his journey came up to him. And when he saw the man, he had compassion. He went over to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring out on olive oil and wine. Then he put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took him out to Denarii, gave them to the innkeeper and said, take care of him. When I come back, I'll reimburse you for whatever extra you spend. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The one who showed mercy to him, he said. Then Jesus said to him, go and do the same. Father, thank you for this morning. And I thank you for the opportunity we had to study your word. We believe now you're gonna speak to us through your word. So as you speak, help us to listen carefully with hearts that want to obey your word and ask it in Jesus' name, amen. You can have a seat. This story, the story of the Good Samaritan, I don't know, it must be in the top five or the top 10 of most famous stories in the Bible. Most everybody in, in, the, in, in, you know, in our culture has some familiarity with the story of the Good Samaritan. But what's interesting is that the story of the Good Samaritan is preceded by a conversation. There's an expert in the law. Some of your Bible translations might say a lawyer or a scribe. Now we've talked about these kinds of people before. These scribes, these lawyers, these, these were religious leaders that, that they did. They studied the law. They transcribed the law. They, they knew that, that Hebrew Bible really, really well. These were the kind of people you went to when you had questions about what the word of God said. And so this expert in the law, he comes up to Jesus and he says, Jesus, I have a question for you. Now, what the text tells us is that this man who comes to Jesus, this expert in the law, this lawyer, he wasn't coming to Jesus to learn from Jesus. He was coming to Jesus to test Jesus. He wanted to trap Jesus. This lawyer and others like him wanted to prove that Jesus was not the son of God, that he was not from God, that he was a fraud, a phony. And so he comes to Jesus and you see the question, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And that's a great question. It's a question that all of us have at some point in our lives. Now, now you and I know the answer to that question. How do we have eternal life? Well, through faith, through faith in the finished work of Christ, faith in his death and resurrection. We know the answer to that question. And it's interesting to me that when this lawyer asked Jesus that question, Jesus does not say to him, believe in me. I mean, that's the answer to the question. But something else is going on here. Jesus is wanting to expose this lawyer's heart. And so Jesus does what Jesus often does. Jesus answers the question by asking the, a question. Hey, you're a lawyer. You're, a, you're an expert in the things of the law. You tell me. You've read the Bible. You've transcribed it. You teach it. You, you interpret it. What does the Bible say? What does the Hebrew Bible say? What does the Torah say about how you must inherit eternal life? And you see the answer, verse 27. He answered, love the Lord with your God, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. You probably remember in Matthew chapter 22, when, when some religious leaders came and asked Jesus, Jesus, what is the great 
greatest, greatest command. And Jesus quotes these same verses from, from Deuteronomy chapter 6 and Leviticus 19, to love God with everything you are and love your neighbor as yourself. Because every good Jew knew that, that the essence of the Old Testament law was love God with everything you are and love your neighbor as yourself. If you go back, for example, and look at the Ten Commands, the first four commands are about what, church? Our relationship with God, how we love God. The, the last six commands are about our relationship with each other, how we show love to each other. The entire Old Testament law is teaching us how to love God and love our neighbor. And so, so this is what the lawyer says. My Bible says this, love God, everything I am, and love my neighbor as myself. And Jesus says, you got it. If you do that, if you love God with everything you are and you love your neighbor as yourself, you will live. You will find eternal life. Now, at that point, I don't know what was going on in the mind of this lawyer. I mean, Luke, the gospel writer, doesn't tell us, but I can imagine he begins to think. I mean, there's lots of people in this world and there's lots of people I don't love. And let's be honest, there's some people you don't love too. I mean, you think about that context, you've got the Romans who were occupying Israel. You, you had Samaritans that lived just down the street from them that they certainly did not like. I mean, love, I mean, love, unconditional, sacrificial love. I mean, who? I mean, I mean, let's be honest, for some of us, there's, there's people in our own family we don't like a whole lot. I mean, so to love, love our neighbors as ourselves. I mean, the question that this lawyer asked really is a logical question. I mean, you think about this world and think about the people you like and think about the people you don't like, the people you want to be around and the people you don't want to be around. It's a legitimate question. All right, Jesus, love God everything you are and love your neighbor as yourself. I got that, but let me ask you this question. Who? Who is my neighbor? Is it just the people close to me, my family members, those people who live in my house, the people I work with, I go to school with, the people in my community? I mean, how far does this extend? Who am I really supposed to love? Because I can't, I mean, it's impossible. I can't love everybody. That's a high order. No one loves everybody. We all have enemies. And so tell me, who am I supposed to love? And he asked this question, the Bible says, to justify himself. Because that's what we all do. We all want to prove to God and prove to others that we've done our part. And so this lawyer wants to say, who's my neighbor? Because I want to tell you, I, I think I've loved my neighbor, but let's just clarify who my neighbor is. And then Jesus does what Jesus does. He tells a story. A parable. Now, we've already looked at a couple of parables as we've walked through this gospel. And in the weeks ahead, we'll look at a lot more parables. And you know, these parables, uh, they're, they're stories. They're made up stories that Jesus tells to prove a point. Lots of times people don't get the parables because their eyes are closed to the truth. This parable is, is short, it's punchy. I mean, it is, it is in your face. And it's a story that would resonate with the people. Jesus tells a story about a, a Jewish man making his way from Jerusalem to Jericho. Now, if some of you who are going with me in, in 2024 to Israel, we will travel from Jerusalem to Jericho. And what you'll find out when you go from Jerusalem to Jericho, it is a descent. Uh, Jerusalem is about 3,000 feet uh, above sea level, while Jericho is, is 
under sea level. It's below sea level. And so, so that, that path to, from Jerusalem to Jericho, it is a big descent. And in those days, there was a particular road that people would travel from Jerusalem to Jericho. It was a very windy road. And that road in those days, I kid you not, this is what the road was known as. The road was known as the bloody way. So this is the setting. Now the story's made up, but it was a setting they all knew because it was a road that many of these people that were in the audience that day had traveled themselves. It was a road notorious for bad things. It was that kind of road that when you walked, you took your, your wallet and you put it in your front pocket, right? I mean, it was the kind of road that, that it was very common for people to be robbed and beaten and all those kinds of things. And so when Jesus begins to tell the story, this story resonates. When he tells a story about a man who is making his way from Jerusalem to Jericho and he's beaten up, like, yeah, we've heard that story before. Right? I know that happens. It happens all the time. We see it on the nightly news. That happens a lot. So this man on his way from Jerusalem to Jericho, it happens. He's beaten and left for half dead. He's robbed of his possessions. And you know the story. I don't have to tell you the story. As he's there half dead, along the way comes a priest. Now, again, Jesus doesn't give us all the details and it's, it's just a made up story, but, 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 but you can begin to, to imagine the scenario, right? That this priest has, has traveled from Jerusalem on his way to Jericho. Perhaps he lives in Jericho and he was in Jerusalem doing what? Ministering at the temple on behalf of people. He was offering sacrifices on behalf of the sins of people. He was caring for people. I mean, here's the epitome of someone who's supposed to what? Love God with everything you are and love your neighbor as yourself. But this priest on this day, when he sees this man half beaten and half dead on the roadside, he crosses to the other side of the road and continues on his way. Why? We have no idea. The Bible doesn't tell us. Jesus doesn't tell us the motivation as to why he doesn't stop. He just doesn't. Commentators begin to make all kinds of things up. Like perhaps he didn't want to touch this person because if he touched this person who was half dead, maybe he thought he was dead and now making ceremony unclean and he have to go back to Jerusalem and have to go through all kinds of ritual washings. He didn't have time for that. Or maybe he was scared that he would get beaten up too. And so he just kept on his way, minding his own business. Who knows? The point is, here's someone from the religious establishment whose job is to minister to people. And he doesn't. Now, if you were in the audience that day and you were hearing this story, let's be honest, that wouldn't shock you a whole lot. Because we all know some shady preachers. You understand? I mean, I'm not one of those, but we know some. You understand? We all know some shady preachers. And so, so it could have been when Jesus told that story to that audience, like, yep, we know some preachers like that. We know some priests who aren't very loving. We know some priests who aren't very merciful. And so I don't think that shocked the people when Jesus told this story of a priest not ministering. But then he tells the story of, in the same story, he continues and tells of a Levite. A Levite who does exactly the same thing that the priest does, crosses the other side and keeps on going. Now, now, a Levite was not a priest necessarily, but all the priests came from the tribe of Levi. Makes sense. So, so in the tribe of Levi, some of those Levites were priests, some were not. But, 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 but if you were a Levite, man, you were a religious person because Levites were, were charged with the responsibility of taking care of the temple. 
And so Levi served at the temple. And they made sure the incense was ready to burn and got things ready for the sacrifices, all those kinds of things. They weren't priests necessarily. All priests were Levites, but not every Levite was a priest. But every Levite had a responsibility in the things of worship. And so here's another religious guy. Again, a guy that you would expect to stop. A guy who's supposed to love God and love others. But this guy does the same thing that the priest does. He crosses to the other side and he keeps on going. Again, if you were in the audience and you heard this story, that probably didn't shock you either because you knew some Levites who were, who were shady, who didn't have a lot of compassion. And so nothing Jesus has told us in the story thus far is shocking. Now, as Jesus continues the story, I think probably in the audience, what they were expecting next was for a hero to come along who would save the day. And I think probably the hero they expected to come along in the story next was just a good Jewish layperson, right? Somebody who'd sat in, 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 in temple worship, who had made their sacrifice, somebody who had been discipled, somebody who had a good heart. Maybe it was a fisherman or a craftsman or, uh, you know, maybe it was, you know, uh, that homeschooling mom, just a good Jewish person, Right? who will come along and help. But the hero of the story is not a good Jewish person. Instead, Jesus says, then came along a Samaritan. Now, I think probably what happened when Jesus told this story, right, the Bible doesn't say these things, but I can imagine in my mind's eye that when Jesus is telling the story, as soon as he says the word Samaritan, everybody's ears perk up. Everybody sits up a little bit straighter. Samaritan. Samaritan. What's a Samaritan doing in this story? We get the first part. We get this part about the priest and the Levite, but a Samaritan? Because you know this. I mean, at least most of you know this. If you've been in church a whole lot, you've been to Sunday school, you, you know that there, there's a lot of animosity between Jews and Samaritans for lots of different reasons. One, there were theological differences uh, that the Samaritans, they, uh, they, uh, they believed certain parts of the Old Testament, but others they did not. They made their own rival temple in their capital. Uh, and they, they, uh, they were considered by Jews to be kind of half-breeds because when, when the um, Assyrians came in and overtook the Northern Kingdom back in the Old Testament, some of them intermarried with the Assyrians and so they weren't pure Jewish people anymore. And so, so there was a lot of animosity and really animosity is kind of a soft word. There was a lot of hatred between Samaritans and Jews. And now in this story, Jesus introduces a Samaritan, a Samaritan. It's, it's like the religious establishment has failed to love. And it's as if Jesus is saying to his audience and saying to this lawyer, there are Samaritans that love better than you do. You believe the right things. You believe God is one. But there are Samaritans that love better than you do. And he talks about this Samaritan and, 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 what, and you know the story. So, it, it, you know, you're, you've heard it a million times, but this audience, they were hearing it for the first time. And what they were hearing for the first time as they heard this story was a story of the Samaritan that does what? Shows extravagant, extravagant compassion and grace and mercy on this half-beaten man or this half-dead man. 
He takes the man and puts him on his own animal and takes him to an inn. He covers him with bandages and anoints him with oil and tries to clean him up and all those kinds of things. He takes him to an inn and he, he gives the innkeeper there two denarii, two days worth of salary, right? And, 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 and he, he says to the innkeeper, I'm coming back. Take care of this man. Make sure he gets better. Here's some money to cover a couple of days. If it costs more than that, if it costs more than that, I'll take care of it when I get back. I mean, if you're an innkeeper, that's what you want to hear. If it costs more than that, oh, it's going to cost more than that, right? But, but this, he, this is what he does. He, he shows extravagant care to this man, this stranger, this Jewish stranger. He does not know. He shows extravagant care and grace and mercy too. And if you were in the audience, by the time the story ends, you're left with your mouth hanging wide open. What? That's not how the story goes. Samaritans don't do that. We don't like them and they don't like us. That would never happen. And then Jesus begins to ask a question, right? Because the question, the first question was what? Jesus, who is my neighbor? And Jesus tells this story. And I love this. Look at verse 36. Jesus looks back to this lawyer and he says, hey, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? Verse 37. This lawyer, this scribe, he answers the question. But notice he can't even bring himself to say the word Samaritan. He's, I guess, the one who showed mercy to him. And then Jesus said, you go and do the same. Go and do the same? No. No one does that. No one goes and does the same. Nobody does this. Well, I say that. Maybe once you'll help somebody out. Twice, three times, you'll show this kind of sacrificial grace and mercy on the life of somebody else. But to love your neighbor as yourself means what? That this is how you live over and over and over again, day in and day out. This is what you do. If you love God with everything you are and you love your neighbor with that same kind of love that you love God with, this is how you love over and over and over that you're, you're, you're giving yourself up for the sake of somebody else, that you're willing to sacrifice everything you have for somebody else. Nobody does that. And that's the point. This is what Jesus is trying to get this lawyer to see. You can't be a good neighbor. Nobody is. Nobody loves in this kind of way, at least not naturally. You're asking, what do you need to do to inherit eternal life? Love God with everything you are and love your neighbor as yourself. But the problem is you fail at that. You can't do it. And neither can you. And neither can I. I mean, not unless Jesus does something for us. You follow and transforms our heart. Uh, a couple weeks ago, some of you saw this because you, you follow me on Facebook. I, I bought one of those Blackstone griddles. That thing is amazing. I don't know if you have one of those or not. If you don't, you need to leave church before you come back to the fireworks show tonight, go get you one. It'll change your life. We've been cooking like crazy on it. It's a lot of fun. And I mean, it's, it's really been a lot of fun. And so, so, so I posted this picture on Facebook that concerns some of you. I posted a picture of me cooking vegetables. Now, a lot of you in this room understand that I'm not the biggest fan of vegetables. And so, so when I posted that picture, I got some comments like, are those vegetables I see? Why, yes, they are. And then on, on the Sunday after I posted that picture, which was last Sunday, I had several of you come up to me before the service like, you ate vegetables? And like, 
Yeah, I mean, I did because I, I, hibachi, I don't know if you've been to a, a Japanese steakhouse before, but when they cook those things up, they're loaded with oil and butter and so much soy sauce that covers all the taste of the vegetable. I mean, it's, it, it's, you can get it down. It's not that bad, right? I mean, I, I, I ate it. I mean, I, I did. I, I confessed to you I ate it. I mean, but I didn't put broccoli on there and I didn't put cauliflower, asparagus or anything that smells like a foot. All that stuff stayed off of there. Uh, but, 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 but here's the deal. I, I just want you to understand me eating a few vegetables that were doused in oil and butter and a lot of soy sauce. You know what it did not make me? A vegetarian. And I promise you, I'm, I'm not a vegetarian, have no plans to be. I mean, I, I get it, it's good for the environment and it saves the animals, all that kind of stuff, whatever. But I'm not gonna be that. I'm still a meditarian, right? I mean, I, I, still, I still eat like a fifth grade boy. I mean, I still do that, right? All that to say, me eating one plate of vegetables does not transform me into a vegetarian. Just like you doing one act of kindness for somebody else doesn't make you a lover of God or a lover of people. Just like you helping somebody every now and then doesn't transform you into a good neighbor. You see what I'm saying? That naturally who you are. Now, hate to burst your bubble. I'm not trying to make you feel bad about yourself. That's not the point. I'm just letting you know that naturally who we are is we're not good neighbors. Naturally who we are is very bad neighbors because we're a self-centered people who now watch this, who need a good neighbor. Let me, let me show you. Let me show you this first truth I want you to see. You need the ultimate good neighbor because you can never be neighborly enough to earn eternal life. This is what Jesus is trying to get this man to see. You can never be neighborly enough. You can't love your neighbor enough to inherit eternal life because you will never love your neighbor well. At least not the way God intended you to. What you need, what I need, we need a good neighbor. And that, my friend, is who Jesus is. Jesus is the ultimate good neighbor. Think about it. Jesus came from heaven to earth and he found you not half dead. He found you all the way dead. Ephesians 2, right, verse 1 says, because of your sins, because of your rebellion against God, because of your choice to defy God, you are dead in your trespasses and sins. Romans 6, 23 says what? That what you earn for your sin is not eternal life. What you earn for your sin is death, eternal separation from the God who made you in his image, the God who loves you. You see what I'm saying? That's what you earn. You can't be neighborly enough to earn eternal life because you are not a good neighbor, but Jesus came and found you dead. You think about this Samaritan who was hated. Isaiah chapter 53. Jesus, the ultimate good neighbor, was despised and rejected by men. John 1, the son of God, came into his own and his own did not receive him. Jesus, the ultimate good neighbor who came from heaven to earth, lived a perfect life. He loved God with all of his heart and mind and soul. He loved his neighbor as himself by doing what? Going to a cross and dying the death that every one of us deserve. And by rising from the dead three days later, paying for our sins, 
defeating sin and death so that all of our sins could be forgiven and we could be given the gift of life so that we could find what, church? Real, lasting, eternal healing that we could go from death to life through the finished work of Jesus Christ. Here is the good neighbor. The good neighbor is Jesus Christ who sacrificially loves you and sacrificially loves me so much that he's willing to die for us and rise again so that you could have life. You see, you can't be neighborly enough to gain eternal life, but Jesus was neighborly enough for you. He did everything you could not do. So you could have the gift, Romans 6, 23. You could have the gift of eternal life through belief in the one who died in your place and rose again. You see, I hate to burst your bubble, but my friend, you are, I am, we are bad neighbors. But through the gospel of Jesus Christ, God awakens our hearts and he awakens our hearts through the death and resurrection of Christ. And he does what church? He transforms us. And so now, because now watch this, Jesus is the neighbor who wants to transform you into a good neighbor because of what Christ has done for me, because Christ has changed me. Now I want to show that same kind of agape, unconditional, sacrificial love to other people as a response to what Christ has done for me, not because I'm trying to gain eternal life. I have eternal life in Christ. And because I have it, I want others to have it too. And so now I'm loving people because of the way God has loved me. Are you following me? On my own, I can never be a good neighbor. But with the power of the spirit living inside of me, the power of the good neighbor living inside of me, I can begin myself now to be a good neighbor. You follow. Now, let me show you this, and we're going to be done. Some of you are glad, but listen. So first truth, you need the ultimate neighbor. But second truth, you cannot meet every need, but you can rely on Jesus to meet every need. Let me, let me break this down for you. It's very easy to walk away from a story like this and be overwhelmed. I need to be a good Samaritan. I need to be a good neighbor. And then you look around, and you see all the need in this world. You see the need in your own family. You see the need that's in this church because in this room, there are people with lots of needs. In this room right now, I mean, it's just what it is. There are people with financial struggles. There are people with struggles in their marriage, people with struggles, you know, with disease and sickness, people struggling to raise their kids well. All, there's all kinds of struggles in this room. It's overwhelming to think about all the needs and how can we? And then you think about outside this room. You think about everything that's going on in our culture. You think about, you know, friends you have at work or, or acquaintances or the, you know, maybe that person downtown who, who spent last night on the bench because he got kicked out of his house or that person who's been homeless because of an addiction. You look around like, man, there's lots of needs. You can't meet every need. But Jesus wants to meet every need. You know what I'm saying? Like Jesus knows the name of that man who slept on the street last night. And Jesus loves that man. And Jesus wants to change that man. Jesus knows the, the number of marriages in this church that are struggling. And Jesus loves each of you in those struggling marriages. He wants to change your marriage. Yeah, you know, I can't meet every need. You can't meet every need. But Jesus knows exactly how he wants to meet every need. And here's what Jesus wants from us. He wants you to use you to meet needs of other people. Now watch this, as he leads you. 
See what I'm saying? That I know, and I would love to, but I know I'm overwhelmed every week because I know I cannot minister well to every person in our church, much less outside of our church. But then I think about, I can do exactly what God leads me to do. I can be a blessing to those who God wants me to be a blessing to. I can be used by the Spirit of God, and you can too. And when we as a church, right, are being, are you following me? As we're being transformed by the Spirit of God with this new desire to want to live out the neighborly love that has been shown to us by the power and love of Jesus Christ, we begin to what church? We begin to look for ways to help other people because of the way that we have been loved. And so now watch this. Being a good neighbor is keeping my heart open. Follow because God's done something in me. He's shown me love. He's been the good neighbor to me. And I want that neighborly love that God has shown to me to now flow through me to other people, which means I'm gonna have my heart open. I'm looking, I'm asking, I'm praying. God, how can I be a blessing to somebody today? I can't be a blessing to everybody because I'm limited, but you know how you want me to use me today to be a blessing to somebody. Now, now watch this. If I'm gonna be a blessing to somebody, you know what that means? And my heart's open. Now watch this, because some of you don't wanna pray this. God, I'm willing to be inconvenienced for somebody else. I'm willing to give up my time for somebody else. Inconvenience me if you must, because I want someone around me to know the love of God through me today. Think about this. I'm gonna keep my heart open. I'm gonna keep my eyes open. I'm looking. I'm looking around me. Again, I can't meet every need, but I know the Spirit of God is leading me to be a blessing, right? He's leading me to be a good neighbor to somebody for the sake of the gospel. And so I'm looking around me. Who, God? Who? You know how you've gifted me. You know how you've called me. And listen, listen. I believe that if I'm praying with eyes open, God, how can I meet the needs of people today? God is gonna put divine opportunities in my path. And, and, and I'm gonna say yes to God far more than I'm gonna say no to God, right? I'm gonna say yes, I'm gonna say yes. And God is gonna put those needs in front of me. I'm gonna see those needs as I'm saying, God, you've transformed me. You are transforming me by the power of your spirit. My heart is open, my eyes are open. Help me to see. And he's gonna put those needs in front of you. Now watch this, go to the next slide. Being a good neighbor is keeping my hands open. So I'm gonna open my hands. I'm ready to give of my time. I'm ready to give of my finances. I'm ready to give of my efforts to bless somebody else. Now, you know what that means? We don't like to think about this, but it's happened probably to one of us, maybe all of us. Then when I open my eyes and I open my heart and I open my hands, you know what's gonna happen? Somebody along the way is gonna what? take advantage of your grace. You're going to financially bless somebody and they're going to take advantage of it. You're going to spend time with somebody that you want to bless and they're going to take advantage of that time. That's going to happen. And then what happens, now watch this, what happens is when that does happen, you know what tends to happen in your heart and my heart? We go back to being bad neighbors. I ain't going to let that happen to me again. I'm not gonna let you fool me again. I helped you one time, I ain't doing it again. And we go back to being very unloving. No, if I open my hands, I open my hands. And I open my hands with the understanding that people are sinful. 
People are messy. People are broken. And it's bound to happen that when I live out neighborly love because of the neighborly love that God has shown to me, that someone along the way is going to take advantage of me. Hey, let me ask you this question. Now, I know you don't want to answer this, but how many times have you taken advantage of the love and grace of God? And how many times has he withheld his love and grace from you? Never. You see what I'm saying? So I I go into this knowing that if I'm going to live out neighborly love because of the love that the ultimate neighbor has shown me, there are going to be times that my love and my grace and my mercy are taken advantage of. But there are going to be other times when it's not. Then I'm going to have the opportunity to be a genuine blessing and I'm going to have the opportunity to open my mouth and share the reason why I'm sharing neighborly love. And people are going to respond by trusting Christ as Lord as I share the gospel with them. You see, here's the problem. Many of you don't have a problem opening your mouth, but you say the wrong things, right? If that person who's sleeping on the street would just get a job, he wouldn't need my handout, right? If that unwed mother would just made some better choices, she wouldn't be in the shape that she's in right now. If you quit drinking that alcohol, his life wouldn't be so screwed up. And then we begin to do what? Instead of speaking blessing, instead of opening our mouths to share the hope of Christ, we share what, church? We share our judgment. It's their fault. The reason he was beaten and half dead on his way to Jericho, because he, he, made, he, he, he wasn't thinking, he wasn't being wise. He traveled at the wrong time of day. It's his own fault. And we tend to look at people with need with that kind of judgmental attitude. It's their own fault. They're in condition they're in. But, but, but come on now, help me, help me. As you read through the Bible, how many times in scripture do you see Jesus calling us to treat others with critical, negative, condemning judgment. You don't. But you see over and over again where Jesus calls us to love, period. To help those who are hurting. To share the hope of the gospel. That Jesus knows how to meet your needs. And here's your greatest need. Your greatest need is a savior. Let me talk to you about my savior, Jesus Christ. That's what people need. You see, when you begin to think about this story, you realize it. You realize that we struggle with being good neighbors. You realize that we're bad neighbors, in fact. And you realize that what you and I need is the transforming work of Jesus Christ. We need Jesus to save us and to make us into people who want to imitate his love. And so here we are, ending our time together. Really a couple things. You're in this room this morning and maybe you've never experienced the love of the ultimate neighbor. There is a neighbor, Jesus Christ, who loves you so much that he was willing to go to a cross and die the death that you deserve, to pay the penalty for your sin, to suffer the punishment that was coming toward you, who rose again three days later, defeating sin and death, so you could be forgiven of all your sins so that his righteous, perfect life could be applied to your account. So you could stand before God innocent, not because you are innocent, but because the blood of the innocent Savior has been applied to your life. Today, you can experience salvation, life in him, eternal life. 
Not through your works, not through trying to be a good neighbor because you'll never be that, but simply by, simply by trusting in the good neighbor, placing your faith in the one who died and rose again for you. This morning, I'll be down front. We'd love to talk to you about how you can begin a relationship with Jesus. There's two crosses in the corner of this room. As of a time of invitation, there'll be someone at those crosses who is ready to talk with you and pray with you and help you today begin a relationship with Jesus. If you're watching online, there's gonna be a number on the screen. Text the name Jesus to that number. We'll reach out to you and today help you begin a relationship with Jesus. Now for the rest of us, here you are, you're a follower of Jesus. You've experienced the love of Jesus. And maybe as a follower of Jesus, this morning is a morning of repentance because you realize that, that, that the neighborly love of Christ Jesus is not flowing through you. You don't wanna be inconvenienced by others. You're quick to judge. Your eyes aren't open to the need around you. You're not willing to open your hands. You're not willing to be a good neighbor. No, 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 that can't be true of you. If you are in Christ, if you are in Christ, that is the call of God on your life to imitate His love. And maybe this morning, you wanna come and just repent and ask God to open your heart, open your eyes, open your hands, and open your mouth. However God is leading you to respond, you respond to Him this morning. Father, thank you for today, for your love for us. Thank you, Jesus, that you are the good neighbor that we need that you've changed us and saved us through your death and resurrection. Help us to live lives now that reflect the love of Christ inside of us. And Father, for that person in this room this morning who's never placed his faith or her faith in Jesus, I pray that person will come trusting you as Lord, repenting of their sins and giving their lives to you. So have your way now, I ask in Jesus' name, amen. You rise your feet as we have a time of invitation. You come now as the Spirit of God leads you.